0: Got something weird going on with my knee. Now, I had some knee problems when I was young and athletic, and was doing things that caused problems for my knees. But uh, I'm not doing that now, of course. But for some reason, it feels like it's swollen up a little bit and uh, it's stiff. I told my wife about it, and she said, "Well, were you running, or did you do something strenuous?" <laughs> and then she kind of fucking smirked at me because she knows I wasn't running. Jesus Christ, how long has it been since I ran? I mean, unless I have to go to the bathroom or something, I don't even walk fast, for Christ's sake. So I'm not sure what it is. I think it's, you know, it's one of those things where you're walking, and you're a 100 years old like me, and you twist your leg just a little bit, and something goes out of whack. And then it upsets your leg. I told my kids, I say, you know, when I was a young man, I could go out drinking all night, Run full face into a brick wall. Wake up after two hours sleep and do it all over again and it wouldn't affect me a bit. Now when you get older, like me, you stub your toe and you're fucking down for a week. It's disappointing <laughs> when your body starts, uh, stops not working like it once did. I remember those days of being that young and being virtually indestructible. I have to resign myself to the fact that those days are long gone. And even if I was in better shape, uh, (laughs) it's a problem. you got to pay attention to it. You know, it's funny. When you're 19, 20, 25, even 30 years old, and you're getting drunk and partying or whatever, and you fall down, you just pop back up, kind of embarrassed, and you keep moving on. Now, at this age, if it's icy out or there's something going on where I fall down, Generally, I can pop back up. But it's not my reaction that's concerning. It's about the people around you. When you're my age and you fall down, everybody crowds around you. Everybody's concerned because they figure this might be a fatal moment. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm a pretty tough guy. I've, I've taken my hits in my lifetime, and I can even fall down now. But everybody else is so worried about it. And frankly, in the condition I'm in and the age I'm at, you don't just pop up either. It's a little slower getting back ambulatory. <laughs> and, that, and that is a little uh, embarrassing, too. I realized when I was getting old, you know, when my kids were really young and I was in my 30s or even my 40s, I worked long hours and I started work early in the morning so I'd come home. And it wouldn't be unusual for me to sit in the uh, recliner chair and fall asleep sitting up. When that would happen, when I was in my 30s and 40s, my kids or my wife would come by and say, oh, you're just lazy. Why don't you go to bed for Christ's sake? And they would tease me. But once I passed 50 and got older yet, now if they find me asleep sitting up in the chair, they grab me violently, go, dad, dad, you okay? (laughs) Yeah, bitch. I just fall. I just fell asleep. I'm fine. I don't know what it is. I mean, are they thinking that at some point I'm just going to fall asleep and never wake up again? Well, I tell them. I said that's not going to happen. I'm pretty self-aware, and if I'm going to die, I'm going to know that ahead of time. In my mind or in my senses, I'm going to know if I'm going to die. And if I fall asleep on the couch, it's because I'm 62 years old. Just fucking relax. (laughs) Anyway, I got this trick knee now and I'm walking and kind of limping, which doesn't add to the image of an old man if he's limping on top of it. I mean, I like to be normally striding normally, even at my age. At least I can make people believe I'm perfectly healthy. But now when you get this ache in your knee and you got to start to (laughs) limp, they're all looking at you going, oh, there you go. See, he's going now. It's just a matter of time. I'm fine. I'm going to be here a while. I'm not going to run any races. I might not even walk fast to the bathroom at this point until this knee heals up, but I'm going to be okay. All right, let's get to the business at hand, some of the news out there. I heard a story, and it sounds like Donald Trump had some pretty disturbing reactions to Black Lives Matter protest in the wake of the George Floyd murder. This is information coming out in a book, and I think it was This Shall Not Pass, the one I've talked about in the past. When he was talking to Janet Mills, governor of the state of Maine, She said he became so unhinged, she feared he was going to have a nervous breakdown. She was so concerned about this, she called a security guard in and said, you've got to hear this. You've got to be a witness to this. I don't know why he was so upset when he was talking to uh, the governor of Maine. I don't know if there were any Black Lives Matter stuff out there or not. Probably were. But for whatever reason, these Black Lives Matters really upset him. What's ironic is when you had the thing down in Charlottesville and the white supremacist and somebody dying there, he didn't seem to mind. He said they looked like fine people. Or when his buddies attacked the Capitol, injured numbers, uh, large numbers of police officers and even killed a police officer or two, that didn't seem to bother him. Nothing to see here. Just forget about it. You're making too big a thing. But those Black Lives Matters people, oh, they got to be stopped. He wanted a massive crackdown on Black Lives Matter. He did. He wanted this stopped. So he called in Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley. He was called into a meeting with Trump. Milley said it was very tense. He made exaggerated claims about the violence. And that's what narcissists do. They exaggerate everything to try to make their point even stronger. (laughs) I tell this story about my father who was a narcissist. And this is on a small scale but gives you a sense of what I'm talking about. Let's say I'm 10 years old and uh, my dad's mad at me. First of all, because I did something wrong. I'm 10 years old, remember. He would always come in and say, Jesus Christ, you're a piece of shit. You're 11 years old and you fuck up like this. He had to exaggerate it one year. But at the same time, if I wanted to do something, he'd say, Jesus Christ, you idiot. You're only nine years old. Then he'd exaggerate it the other way. And that's what narcissists do. They consciously try to uh, support their claims by lying, even just a little bit. And that's, of course, what they're doing here. Now, Donald Trump told Mark Milley that he wanted the military to beat the fuck out of Black Lives Matter. He said, or shoot them. And when Mark Milley said, look, man, we can't just go out and be shooting people. He said, well, then just shoot them in the legs or the feet. <laughs> He had uh, to change the date of a rally he had there around that time frame. You see, the rally was scheduled for the date uh, that was Juneteenth. And the people around him says, yeah, this is not good optics. We're not going to have the rally on Juneteenth. Let's set it for another date. And he was very upset about that. It's like he had no idea what Juneteenth was about or did he care. In fact, he was at a dinner later on that night, and he said, Have you ever heard of such a fucking crazy thing? The question always is, is Donald Trump racist? Clearly he is. Because clearly if you're starting a riot or killing people, like in Charlottesville or at the U.S. Capitol, he has no problem with white people doing that. But when Black Lives Matter steps up and is fighting back about some injustices, like in Minneapolis. Now, I live in Minneapolis. I saw the after effects of it. I didn't, wasn't stupid enough to go down there while it was happening. But a large percentage of the damage and the problems were started by white supremacists. You know, when they broke into the liquor store, they started the uh, third precinct on fire. Those weren't Black Lives Matters people, those were white supremacists who were going there to try to make it look worse, make it look bad, so they would have problems. And they'd be able to point at the Black Lives Matter people and say, See what they did? Now, I'm not saying Black Lives Matter was completely innocent and there weren't some troubles with them. There were. And that's inevitable when you get a gang of people together. You get that mob mentality. But they were relatively peaceful compared to what we've seen with white supremacists at the Capitol, in Charlottesville, and other places around the country, including. Minneapolis, when we had those riots after the George Floyd murder. All right, next up, the January 6th House Select Committee announced that they will have eight public and televised hearings starting on June 9th. Now, the January 6th committee will still be investigating the insurrection up through that point on June 9th, and probably thereafter. Now, they're going to have eight public hearings starting on June 9th, going through the month of June. Now, they haven't said anything about July, August, September, October, but I wouldn't be surprised if we had more in July and August and maybe September, and who knows, maybe October. But we'll see. Now, while they're doing this investigation, uh, the committee chair, Benny Thompson, is going to extend more information Invitations, And when I say invitations, if you know what I mean, to high-ranking Republican leaders, in some cases, this will be their second invitation because the first was ignored. Now, the likely suspects here to receive these requests include people like Kevin McCarthy, with the new evidence coming out with the tapes and such, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Paul Gosar, Jim Jordan, and a host of other treasonists. He's going to invite them again. The question is, will they show up this time? Now, many of them ignored the request the first time around. Things have changed a bit, though, since then. There's more evidence, there's more tapes, more documents, and a lot more has been revealed that is pretty damning against these very same people that they're asking to speak out. Not to mention the upcoming televised hearings, as I, I mentioned earlier. They may want to get ahead of some of this shit that's coming out. I mean, that's pretty typical with Republicans. They try to take the edge off by owning up to it or talking about it ahead, ahead of time, instead of waiting for the country to be surprised when this is plopped in their laps by the Democrats. And we're going to see a lot of that with the uh, hearings. We're going to see quite a bit of that with the hearings, so we'll see what they do with that. Now, they will want to get ahead of this, and they will want to deal with this situation, and this is, of course, if they are thinking logically. Of course, critical and logical thinking is a rare commodity amongst Republicans these days, so what they are more likely to do is be no-shows and go for the cover-up. Apparently, they don't understand how these things typically go. The crime is one thing, but the cover-up is what gets you in the end. They just have, it's just impossible for them to admit anything, admit they're wrong, admit they committed any crimes, so they keep doubling and tripling and quadrupling down trying to cover it up. Now, It depends on what kind of crimes they committed as to whether they can be held accountable for them. But by virtue of them trying to cover it up, this is where the problems are going to come into play for these Republican people. They've been trying to cover this up since January 6, 2021. Since the day of the insurrection, they've been trying to deny it, uh, cover it up, pass it off as nothing, And this is all going to come to pass sometime soon because there's absolute evidence that this happened. There's videotapes of it fucking happening. And now what the January 6th committee is going to have to try to do is try to expose that to the public. For once, control the narrative in this country and keep shoving the evidence and the information down the throats of anybody who watches the media. That really is the only way the Democrats can win here. The Republicans have always been really good at it. Now, what they'll try to do is they'll try to divert, distract, and cover it up and all that. But there's going to be so many things coming from so many angles, it's going to be hard to keep up with that. The Republicans understand that. Now, these people that were invited to testify, they may want to get out in front of it, and they may want to testify. They probably won't give a lot of information. Or they may just want to ignore it like they've been doing up to now. Maybe they decide, well, it's going to be bad, so why should I go make it worse? I really believe some of these people have resigned themselves to the fact that they're fucking done here. I mean, if you have half a brain and you see what's going on, as much as you want to lie about it, as much as you want to cover it up or divert or distract, you know it's there. We know that uh, critical thinking and common logic does exist in the Republican Party. They just don't let us know about it. Perfect example of that, Kevin McCarthy. We hear these audio tapes talking about how these things are going on and all these sitting members of Congress making these horrible proclamations and how they need to shut them up or maybe kick them off Twitter or whatever. Clearly, Kevin McCarthy was concerned not only about the insurrection because he said as much in front of Congress, but he was also concerned about what the city members of Congress were doing. Yet when he came out to us, it was more about, uh, oh, nothing's happening, nothing to see here. So he doesn't have a lot of credibility or integrity. But we know in the back of his mind he knows better because we heard it from the horse's mouth. I have to believe there's a lot of Republicans that are in that same mindset. They don't want to go against Donald Trump. They don't want to go against the, the radical side of the party. They don't want to be primary. They don't want to be uh, tossed aside. So they'll say whatever they have to say in public just to uh, support the claims of The Radical Republicans. It's going to be interesting to see if they decide to speak or if they try to cover it up. But the important thing to remember is this uh, January 6th committee has interviewed 750 people. They've got thousands and thousands and thousands of documents. Chances are they have all the evidence they need against these people. They are probably not intended to be witnesses as much as targets. Granted, January 6th committee can't indict or uh, prosecute anybody, but they sure can refer them to the DOJ. And if the DOJ has these people in front of them, you can bet there's going to be some indictments. It's not quite the same as Donald Trump, the president. These are the people around the president, and uh, it's going to be very problematic for them. All right. Uh so the Washington, D.C. correspondence dinner was last night. Trevor Noah was the host, and he's a very funny guy. He's not a Republican fuck, thank God for that. But let's be honest, it's basically a roast for everyone, by everyone, who gets up on the podium. Joe Biden was the first president to attend this meeting in almost six years, in exactly six years, and was in rare form tonight. Now, when the president steps up, you'll remember when Obama, I think he was the last president to speak at the correspondence dinner. And you remember the videos of how he tore up Donald Trump, and embarrassed the shit out of him. And as I've told you before, that is the worst thing you can do to a narcissist. Some people are suggesting that that was the day, that was the moment when he decided to run for president so he could get revenge. He did not like what Obama did to him. But let's be honest, whatever Obama did to him, fucking Trump uh, uh, deserved because of all this birther shit and all the fucking lies he was spewing. Now, Joe Biden was in rare form. He has a writer, no doubt. These weren't coming off the top of his head, but he had a few zingers, so I thought he'd take you through some of them. He acknowledged that he was the first president to attend in six years. He said, I understand that, though. This country went through four years of a plague and two years of the pandemic. (laughs) I don't know if you got that. It's not a great joke, but he's basically suggesting the four years with Donald Trump was a fucking plague. I'm just glad to hear Joe Biden stepping up and pushing back. He also said, imagine my, if my predecessor showed up tonight. He said, man, that would be a real coup. <laughs> now, he got a lot of groans on that one, and that might be a little too soon. But uh, Joe Biden's a kindly old man, and he got away with it, and all is good. He also said, everyone is excited about this event. He said, I told my grandkids and Pete Buttigieg that they could stay up late and watch. Because Pete's young. (laughs) He said everybody had to be vaccinated and boosted to attend the dinner last night. He says, if you have questions about getting vaccinated, just ask your favorite Fox News personality here. They are all here, and they all had to prove they were vaxxed and boosted. Apparently, Pete Ducci was a little angry about that, which is funny. You want to talk against the vaccination. You want to talk against the boosts. You know you have to have it in order to work at Fox News. You're angry at Joe Biden for outing you that you've got vaccinated and boosted? That's how, that's how much of a fucking liar Ducey. Do see whatever the fuck his name is, and uh, the entire staff uh, with Fox. I mean, we've we've been hearing about some crazy shit with Sean Hannity. He also said, "Fox News, look, I'm sorry, your preferred candidate lost the last election, but to make up for it, I'm happy to give you access to my chief of staff, so he can tell Sean Hannity what to say on his next broadcast." <laughs> He said, I'm not really here to roast the GOP. Besides, what can I say that Kevin McCarthy hasn't already put in an audio recording? (laughs) The GOP seems to be supporting one guy. His name is Brandon. Hey, he's having a pretty good year. I'm happy for him. (laughs) So Joe Biden was, was fine with making fun of himself, making sport of himself. And certainly making fun of Fox News and making fun of the Republicans. Joe Biden did a decent job at it. He's certainly not a comedian, and some of the jokes that were written for him were a little weak. But it's a good feeling to see Joe Biden up there and snapping back. We've heard these things from the Republicans and from Donald Trump for five years, six years. And we've always watched the Democrats kind of step back, be kind, be calm. And not say anything out of place. Well, that's got to change between now and November. You can't necessarily replicate what Republicans are doing, but you got to be stronger about it. You got to be talking about the things that are going on and that uh, um, things people know. It's like the televised hearings. This is going to bring everything to the surface, bring it to light. And hopefully more people will have an opportunity to see what is going on at these hearings. Now, I'm guessing Fox, OAN, and Newsmax won't even run the hearings. That wouldn't surprise me. But these things that are going to happen in these hearings are going to make such big news, it's going to be hard to avoid hearing about them. I'm not worried about the 30% of the base because you can't convince them of shit about shit. They believe in Donald Trump and the whole the whole alleged platform by the Republican Party. You can't change their mind, so don't bother trying. But there's a whole group of people in between the Democrats and the crazy right-wing radicals. They are people who probably are Republicans and maybe don't even know what's going on because all they watch is Fox News. If we can bring more of this information to the surface— bring some light to it, where these kinds of people hear what is exactly going on, well, then maybe, maybe we can have an impact. But in order to do that, the Democrats have to step up, get a little louder, a little prouder, keep pushing back, and keep talking until fucking November. All right, we'll be back right after this. For the past two years that they've been in office, we've seen Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, do crazy shit, say crazy shit, be involved in the insurrection on January 6th. Now, I've always seen these as two peas in a pod, essentially the same woman, both racist, anti-Semitic, insurrectionist. These two are equally stupid women that seem to be cut from the same cloth. Now, these two do not like each other, apparently, which is surprising to me. I thought they were good buddies. They're just as stupid, and they have the same thoughts and ideas and ideologies about what's going on in our government. It's all false. It's all crazy. It's all conspiracy theories and QAnon. So you would think they'd get get along, but apparently they don't like each other at all. In fact, recently, when they found themselves in the same room, There was a bit of a kerfuffle. About a month ago, at a meeting of the House Freedom Caucus, the directors, the two attended the event, and ultimately, they had to be physically separated because they were concerned that these two idiots might start to throw hands. Yeah, it looked like it might be a physical fight, and that's not surprising. Both these women aren't the most feminine people in the world. They do seem to be a bit volatile, and if they're in an argument, it wouldn't be surprising for them to lose it completely and get into a physical altercation. Now, apparently Lauren Boebert was upset with Marjorie Taylor Greene because she attended an event organized by a known white nationalist. Now, she can't possibly be against that organization because we know Lauren Boebert is, in fact, among other things, a white supremacist. But apparently she was angry that uh, that Marjorie Taylor Greene was dumb enough to get caught going to such a meeting. I mean, <laughs> she's saying the uh, quiet stuff out loud. Lauren Bobert is a white supremacist, but we don't need to talk about it. We need, don't need to advertise it. The verbal attacks were pretty loud, and a lot of people believed that it could mutate into fisticuffs. An unnamed Republican lawmaker stepped in and broke the argument up before there was any physical attacks going on. Now, I think what they should do is just let them go at it, for Christ's sake. Call it a hockey game and let them fight it out. Let them work it out. I mean, this is who these people are. Wherever they go... It's a fucking two-clown circus. These fucking pieces of shit turned our country into a shitty backwoods carnival. You know how people will always say, oh, there goes the neighborhood. When they were elected to office, among some of the other people, Paul Gosar, there goes the country. Our government is supposed to be serious and honest and decent. These two don't know anything about it anything like that. They've made this country look very bad. The Republican Party knows they've made it look bad, but for whatever reason, they are standing behind them. Madison Cawthorn is one of these crazy fucks, but he had the audacity to call out the Republican Party for orgies and coke. Now, he's in all kinds of trouble, and I want you to watch that very closely. We're starting to see more videos to suggest some things. Madison Cawthorn is going to be canceled in the next couple of weeks, and it's not going to be because of the Democrats. The Democrats are scared to death of Madison Cawthorn, so they're going to try to get him out as quickly as possible. However, I don't know that that's a good idea. That said, Republicans do a lot of things that aren't good ideas. Madison Cawthorne, you can kick him out of Congress, certainly. But once you kick him out of Congress, Congress here's a 26-year-old kid that needs to make a living. What's he going to do? He may work for OAN, Newsmax, Fox News, or he might write a book. Once they kick him out of office, they really have no power over him. And he's going to be one pissed-off cupcake, And who's to say he won't expose more of what's going on in the Republican Party in Washington, D.C.? So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Madison Cawthorn. All he did is call out the party for orgies and, and cocaine. But the funny thing is these other two clowns were part of the insurrection, and Kevin McCarthy doesn't say a word to them not one word. And the big difference is is that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert have the ability to generate money for the party. There's a lot of dumb crazy motherfuckers out there that will give money if Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene is there. That's how they become so untouchable. Has nothing to do with their abilities, their crimes, their ignorance, the fact that they can generate money, that puts Kevin McCarthy in a position that says, hands off, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to suspend them. I'm not going to sanction them or, or, or um, anything else. I'm not going to kick them out of office. Now, for all intents and purposes, they should be kicked out of offices. And after the January 6th committee is done, they may very well be expelled from their positions. But Kevin McCarthy doesn't want to do it because they're generating income. It doesn't matter what's good for the country or what's important for the country. It's about how it's going to help the Republican Party. And let's be perfectly honest. These clowns support everything the Republican Party is about. Lies, cheating, stealing, violence, insurrection. That's what these two people are supporting. And then in turn, the Republican Party supports them, which means they too support the violence, the lying, the stealing, the cheating. That is the state of the Republican Party. Now, Madison Cawthorn was in the thick of it with the Republican Party, not so different from Lauren Boebert or... uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or any of them. He was part of that fucked up crowd that all hung out together. I mean, let's be honest. Madison Cawthorn ended up going to the court case with Marjorie Taylor Greene, where she just recently testified, to show support. Now, with what's going on with Madison Cawthorn, I want you to pay close attention because you're going to see Marjorie Taylor Greene abandon that fucking idiot. The entire Republican Party is going to abandon him because they can't have him in the mix. Now, whether they'll just coerce them, coerce him and blackmail him and keep him there so they can keep control over him or they're stupid and they kick him out and let him just flap his lips all day long. I don't know which one they're going to do. I can't say that I think the Republican Party is very bright. So my guess is that they will probably kick him out of there. But it's going to be the Republicans. It's not going to be the Democrats. Nothing can be done unless Kevin McCarthy is behind it. And trust me, on this one, he's upset. He's pissed. It'll be interesting to see if they do get rid of Madison Cawthorn, if he does step up out of revenge and start tell us, telling us more about what's going on in the Republican Party. Don't be surprised if he does that. All right, next up. A second member of the Oath Keepers, Brian Ulrich, 44 years old, has pled guilty to seditious conspiracy charges in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. That's number two that has pled guilty to seditious conspiracy. Now, Brian Ulrich was literally crying while he was in court. Mr. Tough Guy was crying when he pled guilty to the two felony charges, obstruction of an official proceeding and seditious conspiracy. He was asked, Do you agree with Oath Keepers leader, Elmer Stewart Rhodes? And did you develop a plan to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power by force on January 6, 2021? He replied, Yes, Your Honor. So he confessed to it. And as he confesses, that that's a confession for all Oath Keepers and anybody else involved in that insurrection. He was also willing to agree to cooperate, which is what the other one did, and which is what uh, Stuart Roge has agreed to do. They're willing to cooperate with the Justice Department. Now, that's interesting. What kind of information could they give that would be valuable to the Department of Justice? They aren't going to give up other people who attack the Capitol because the DOJ already has most of them indicted or in the process of being prosecuted. So they're going to have to give up something bigger in order to take some time off their sentences when they come to pass. Now, all that can be are the people that were involved at a higher level, people in Congress, people in the administration. You've got two or three people now willing to talk in the Oath Keepers who were a big part of that insurrection. Now, these three people are going to talk. And this is the kind of thing that you're going to see in these televised hearings. You're going to see the testimony of these people. It may either be taped or it may be live. I don't know. But you're going to see the testimony of these Oath Keepers. And they are going to say shit that you won't believe and that the Republicans will regret for the rest of their lives. Things are going to be exposed. People are going to be exposed. And it's not going to be good for the Republicans. The only thing they have to give is what happened before the insurrection. Who planned it? Who funded it? And I'm hoping against hope somehow they can implicate Ginny uh, Thomas. We know we're in kind of a tight spot right now with Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court and his wife an insurrectionist. Apparently there's nothing we can do. There's no t- criteria or ethics code for the Supreme Court, which to me just sounds fucking ridiculous. You have no ethics code for the Supreme Court. Somebody said, we better get one. Yeah, bitch, you should have had one 100 years ago. As much as they're on the Supreme Court, they're still humans. They're still fallible. They're still tainted. It's not unreasonable to think you might get somebody on the Supreme Court that may be a little less than ethical. And I think that's clear with Clarence Thomas being connected to Jenny Thomas. So as these Oath Keepers start to speak, expect to see some names coming up. People that are tied to this, they'll still have to prove it. But of course, the January Sixth Committee has already interviewed 750 people, has thousands and thousands of documents, and they probably already have evidence against Jenny Thomas and some of these other idiots that were involved. Now, he was quoted in the messages uh, with the DA. He said, "The DA says." Tell me if I, no, this is, I'm sorry, this is what he said. There was a communications, either a radio call or a text or something. And this is what this Brian Ulrich says. He says, tell me if I'm crazy, if I'm planning on having a backpack for regular use and then a separate backpack for my ammo. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, they kept telling us there were no guns, there was nothing like that there. Then why the need for a second backpack full of ammo? We know that there were some guns stored off-site. They were going to do what they were going to do, and then they were going to go get their weapons and come back and try to finish the job. We know that's what was going to happen. Fortunately, it didn't resort to that, but that's not to say there wasn't plenty of violence, plenty of injuries, even some death. I mean, these people, these Republicans will try to tell us, oh, it's Antifa. Really? It was Antifa beating a cop with a Confederate flag? Really? There has been nobody that's been arrested that has any ties to Antifa. All of them are supporters of Donald Trump. They will say anything to try to confuse the issue and that's why it's important for all of us not to listen to that shit because it's all lies and it's all intended to confuse us. There's people like us that are here on the Rational Boomer podcast that would never believe that stuff. But there's some other people in the middle of the uh middle of the group or maybe on the centrist part of the Republican party they don't pay attention, aren't hearing the information from the proper uh, media outlets, and they don't know. So that's our job now. That's the job of the January 6th committee with their hearings. That's the job for we, the people. Once we have this information, we need to keep pushing it out there. We need to keep it in in the in the air, if you will, so everybody knows it. People always say, what should I do? What can I do? I'll tell you what you can do. Keep talking. Keep pushing it out there. Keep telling people. The more people we have that understand what exactly happened, the better chance we'll have at the midterms in November. Now, speaking about the insurrection, nobody ever heard about the lawyer John Eastman, prior to the January 6th insurrection. But after the January 6th insurrection, we heard all about him. We found out that he was essentially the architect for the planned coup. He was the one that wrote the book on it. He wrote the strategies and created the rules and regulations and plans to get this thing done. And now we know, of course, that, you know, initially when the People hit the Capitol. We thought this was just an angry crowd that got out of hand. We had no idea how much premeditation and planning went into this thing, but now we do. We have the attack on the Capitol. We have the uh, uh, fake electors trying to bullshit their way through. We have Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, we have Lindsey Graham, all going to secretaries of states at various swing states and trying to coerce them into overturning the election. Fortunately, it never worked. But a lot of it's on recording, so we're going to see what's going to happen. It's pretty amazing. It's really, truly amazing. Now, he's been asked to testify, and I think he did, but didn't give much information. He was also asked to turn over Trump-related documents and emails. And he refused to do that as well. Well, yesterday, he had a change of heart. He has agreed to turn over 10,000 documents and emails to the January 6th committee. Sounds like a lot, right? Well, that's good. That's a breakthrough. Unfortunately, that's about a little more than a fourth Of the 37,000 documents he's supposed to have, he's claiming attorney-client privilege. Now, I thought we went through this. I don't know if we have to go through court. It's great that he's turning over 10,000 documents, but these are documents he cherry-picked out of 37,000. So the focus of the January 6th committee is to, in fact, get him to turn over all of the documents. So the interesting thing is we are seeing a little give with Eastman and the Republican Party, for that matter. He's no doubt dealing with pressure from both sides, from the Republican Party to keep his mouth shut. And from the left side, the Democratic Party, telling him, look, bitch, you're going to go to jail. It's a lot of stress to put an old man like that under, but you can bet he's struggling with it. He must understand that anything that he has done is probably already been exposed by way of the 750 other people that have been uh, questioned and all the documents that they've already received. John Eastman can't game his way out of this, even if he holds back 27,000 documents. He's still in all kinds of trouble. There's a lot of evidence out there that show exactly what he did. I mean, there's the document that shows his plan and his strategy for the insurrection. We know what he's done. We know that he spent some time talking to Jeffrey Clark over in the um, DOJ. Now, he was the guy that came up with the idea to send uh, secretaries of state a letter from the DOJ saying... It's all kinds of election fraud. You've got to stop this now and don't certify these elections. And, of course, we know it went to the attorney general. They said, no, we're not doing that. Then Donald Trump wanted to fire him and put Jeffrey Clark, this nobody from nowhere, as attorney general. Unfortunately, everybody on his staff, everybody in the DOJ said, if you do that, we're just going to fucking resign and you'll look embarrassed. So that never happened. But we know that John Eastman was involved with Jeffrey Clark. We know that what Jeffrey Clark did is illegal, virtually treasonous. So once you tie John Eastman to Jeffrey Clark, well, then he's got a problem. And then when you see the documents we already have before he turns any over, he's in some deep trouble. He's in some deep legal trouble. So I'm thinking that that uh, John Eastman knows he's in trouble. He has to give a little bit to look like he's quasi-cooperating. But he's not going to give up things that implicate himself. And there's probably a lot of things that are going to implicate him. So he's going to try to hold off. See, the problem with this is, is what they don't understand or they're too arrogant to figure out is that It's one thing if you commit crimes, but it's the cover-ups where it, that is usually the downfall of these people. We saw it in Watergate. We've seen it in other situations. The crimes are one thing, but once you try to cover it up and you're exposed for being someone trying to cover it up, that's where you have problems. That's where you go to jail. And that's what they're still trying to do. It's a funny thing about Republicans, narcissists or otherwise. They really have a difficult time admitting when they're wrong or when they've done something. Even though they know everybody in the world knows the truth, they still will not admit to it. Somehow they think if they just don't say it, they'll be set free from it. And that's just not the case. They're going to be exposed, the evidence is going to be presented. And some of these people are going to go to jail, like John Eastman, like Mark Meadows, some of these people. We know the president may or may not be untouchable for whatever reason, but the people around him, they're open game. They can do whatever the fuck they want to him, and they will. They have back in the Watergate days and in other situations up to this point. It seems like every administration has had a number of people indicted, prosecuted, and found guilty mostly Republicans, and oddly enough, in the Obama administration for eight years, there wasn't one person indicted, prosecuted, or jailed. But the Republicans are replete with criminals, and in every administration they get caught, and every administration some of them are found guilty and sent to jail. So in this situation with the insurrection, these people that are sitting members of Congress, these lawyers, these other people on the outside, they are all very, uh, well, they're culpable, but they're also in a precarious situation because they have no protection anymore. Donald Trump is no longer in office. Nobody's going to give them a pardon, and they're in deep shit, and they know it. So you're going to see them getting a little hinky. These days, maybe lashing out, trying to say things to distract, or maybe disappearing and trying to keep their mouth shut. One way or another, they're going to do something. But it doesn't matter. When it all comes down and all is exposed, these people will pay the price. Even if Donald Trump doesn't pay a price by going to jail, he'll be paying all kinds of of uh, prices with his life, his money his future, the perception of Donald Trump. So they're all going to get taken down at one point or another. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. If you have questions, comments, complaints, what have you, just send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm, find the Rational Boomer podcast, leave me a voicemail. You know how I love hearing from you. I hope you have a great day. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.